talking to you today. It is a fine looking day already in the valley. It's September 23rd, 2020. I am here with you live right now at 7 a.m. Perhaps you are joining me live, and if so, welcome to you, or perhaps you are joining me at some point later on today, this week, this month, this year, this century. I don't know. Um, but I am glad that you are here with me whenever you happen to come across this. We're making our way through the gospel according to John. Yesterday, we really kind of got into the narrative. Remember, chapter one is really the theological basis for a lot of things. It's not that, and the name, the term narrative, um, I, I try to use that term because really what that means is the story. But I, I shy away from using that term. Right. Because sometimes when people hear, oh, I want to hear a story. A lot of times it's not real. OK, this is real. This is historical fact. The things that we're reading happened in time and space and they happen as they are written. So keep that in mind. But again, chapter one contains uh, the theological basis for the gospel. According to John, it gives us the introduction to who the word is. Right. All of these different things. And, and and we see Jesus come on the public scene there. But chapter two is really where the story gets rolling. That's why yesterday when we started chapter two, we saw the first of Jesus signs. And I need to offer a caveat here. OK, I talked about alcohol yesterday. As I said, people have lots of different opinions on this, different perspectives. I get that. I don't want my comments yesterday to be misconstrued as a green light for you to go out and, and tie one on, as it were. OK, that's not what yesterday was about. Um, remember, alcohol was, it was just seen as very different. Um, much the same as alcohol is seen very different in different parts of the world today. In the United States, we, uh, we, we, we see things differently, and that's okay. But nevertheless, um, certainly you don't need to be a drunk. <clears throat> you don't need to become drunk. So just understand that, all right? And I hope that I did not send that message across yesterday in the slightest bit. But nevertheless, the reason I reference that is because Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine, okay? Um, and, and even that, I have found that there are varying opinions on what that means. Um, but as a very short recap, I maintain that he turned water into wine and that it was wine. It wasn't Welch's. OK, um, so nevertheless, that's what we saw yesterday. And today we continue on. That was the first of Jesus signs. And that's important. Um, we're going to see that term come up again uh, in John chapter two. Ooh, get out of here. Come on. dude. Anyway, uh, we're going to see this come up again in chapter two. And we're really going to see this term used throughout the entirety of John's gospel. And the reason being is because of what signs actually are. Remember, the value of the sign, it's not that the sign isn't important, but the real value of a sign is what the sign points to, okay? That's what we saw yesterday, and all the, all the while that Jesus is doing these miraculous wonders referred to as signs, the question is, what is Jesus pointing to with these signs, so it's with that in mind that we move forward today in chapter two, and we're going to start in verse 12. But again, welcome to you. Good morning. I see Christine and Alice and Monica and Carol and Stacy and Sybil and Rose. Good morning to you all. 
And Rose, thank you for that kind comment. I enjoy doing these devotionals. So again, welcome to you, whether you are live or coming later, whether you have commented or not. So um, John chapter two, starting in verse verse 12, excuse me. After this, well, this is kind of like therefore. When, when you run across a therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. What's the this that verse 12 is talking about? Well, rewind to... to to the beginning of chapter two. It's it's the first of his signs, right? The the wedding at Cana in Galilee, water into wine. Verse 11 then, this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their trust in him. So with Jesus' signs, sometimes we see dual purposes for his signs, right? Um, But it continues on. After this, he went down to Capernaum. Excuse me. Got a tickle in my throat. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, they found the men selling cattle, sheep, doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area. Both sheep and cattle, he scattered the coins uh, of the money changers uh, and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Time out, pause. Okay, what's going on here? This is one of those times in the scripture that makes some folks giddy. I mean, absolutely giddy. Why? Well, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are also gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke also have an account of Jesus. The term that's usually applied to this is cleansing the temple, giving it a good wash, right? And they say, aha, see here, now we have them. Because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus cleanses the temple at the end of his earthly ministry, right? Just prior to his crucifixion. Yet here in the gospel, according to John, you have Jesus going up not only with his disciples, but also with his family to Capernaum. We have this being close to the Passover, and we see him cleansing the temple. And they say, you see there, the Bible is full of contradictions. So what do we do with this? Because this isn't the only contradiction between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in terms of the cleansing of the temple account. It's not the only thing that doesn't match up. Why Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it talks about how after Jesus cleansed the temple, he went on to teach the people in the temple. He said different things than this. In fact, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus references the fact that instead of saying, how dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace, Jesus says in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this, uh, my father's house is to be a place of prayer for all peoples. Right. We even find out that this is the outer Gentile court that Jesus is in. So what, what's the deal? Does the Bible contradict itself? No, it does not, because there's a very simple explanation for this that isn't too difficult to understand at all. And it goes back to a premise. Just because some similar things happen in John that also have happened in Matthew, Mark and Luke, it doesn't mean that it's talking about the same event. 
The simplest way to understand what's going on at the beginning of John is that Jesus cleansed the temple twice. That he cleansed the temple at the start of his earthly ministry, that he would loop back around at the end of his earthly ministry, and that he would cleanse the temple again. Why do I say that's a possibility? Well, because it makes sense. Number one, it's the only thing that makes sense. It's a different event. Not only here do you see the message from Jesus different. Not only does Jesus not continue to teach the people in the temple here in John chapter 2, but also John is the only place where it's mentioned that Jesus fashions a whip, right? Um, so th 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 these are different circumstances, different details, right? It doesn't mean that it's four different people trying to make one thing out of, uh, trying to make two things out of one event. Not at all. The most simple understanding of this is that Jesus would have cleansed the temple twice. But also, I think this makes sense because of the concept of signs, right? What's the first miracle? that Jesus performed. As we saw yesterday, it's turning water into wine. And the first miracle, as we just read at the end of, of that section, this is, the, this is verse 11 of chapter 2. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory. Remember, the value is in what the sign points to. It's by no mistake that the first of Jesus' miracles on the public scene is that he reveals his glory. And yet, what has been revealed through what's going on in John chapter 2? Fast forward to verse 17. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will will consume me. That's quoting Psalm, uh, let me see here, what was it again? Psalm 69, 9. So it's by no mistake that Jesus' actions are pointing to something much greater than himself. First, his glory. Second, his zeal for his father, yes, but also his father's house. And this is of vast importance, y'all. It's of vast importance because of what is about to happen. And here it is, verse 18. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? You know, it's fascinating there. This too is different because Jesus is still relatively unknown. We don't see the cold hatred. We don't see the, um, the, the, the rebellion against Jesus that you would see from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is later on in his ministry, because by the time he cleanses the temple a second time, his following has built up. Right now, it's just his family, and it's just a few disciples with him. He hasn't come into the city yet with people shouting, Hosanna, save now, okay? So here at this point, um, the, the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us? Now, it doesn't say which Jews in particular. The idea that we would get is that this is probably the Sadducees. We'll talk more about them in the future. But at this point in Jewish history, the Sadducees had control of the temple. They were really the Roman lapdogs. It's not the Pharisees weren't important. They were, but the Sadducees controlled the temple. That's where Jesus is and is doing this thing. But what is important at this point is how Jesus answered. Jesus answered them. Again, they're saying, what miraculous sign can you give us? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. 
Hmm. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of, and I, and I love John because of this. A lot of times the explanation is just built right in. Uh, verse 21 says, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. We're going to come back to that tomorrow with the next fascinating encounter that we have with Jesus. But as it is right here, some important things are said. Some important things that we need to hang on to. Um, they're revealed as they apply to us, not only in this end times craze that we're living through right now, which, by the way, anytime difficult things happen, uh, self-proclaimed prophets rise up, right? Books get written. They're like, aha, you see, this has happened over here and it points to this. And so maybe this is going to go on next. Um, Jesus gives us his opinion on the temple here. The temple is the house of God. It represents God's presence among his peoples. Jesus defended it stringently. But Jesus makes another reference here to the temple. And we're going to dig into this as we go along. And I don't want to say anything too inflammatory right now. Um, not that I won't later. But nevertheless, I don't want to be inflammatory needlessly here, but Jesus tells us something really important about the temple. And the reason I say this is, again, because of some of the stuff that is swirling out there. Um, there is a sentiment out there as it relates to the nation of Israel today, functioning today, um, that, that a whole bunch of, of, of self-proclaimed prophets have started to write stuff again about this. And they've talked about um, how certain things have happened on the Temple Mound and, and all of these different things and how uh, I've even heard one talk about how construction is going to be starting on the Temple soon. And the idea is, hey, once the Temple is rebuilt, then Jesus is going to come back. You know, Jesus gives us the clear word on what the Temple really is after his death and resurrection. The Temple is him. Because it's no longer a building that represents or a building that functions as the go-between between you and me and God. Jesus is our intercessor. If Israel, the nation of Israel as we know it today, rebuilt the temple tomorrow, it wouldn't matter one hill of beans as it relates to Jesus coming back. Because Jesus' body is the temple. Now, you and I, to go to God in prayer... In just a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm not going to make an animal sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus is our sacrifice. I'm not going to go to a priest to offer up this prayer for me. Why? Because Jesus is my great high priest, and he's seated at God's right hand, interceding on my behalf. Y'all, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, and I referenced this already, but after Jesus was crucified, Something key happens in Jesus' crucifixion. The veil in the temple was torn in two, um, thus representing the fact that through Jesus, the separation between God and man had ended in terms of needing a temple, in terms of a priest going into the Holy of Holies. We find that out from the book of Hebrews because it talks about how Jesus crossed over into the Holy of Holies, but he didn't do so here in the earthly realm. He did so in glory, in heaven, 
right? So let me ask you something. After the temple veil was torn in two, after Jesus was crucified and was resurrected and went back to heaven and assumed his duties as our high priest, what do you think they did? I think it's, even though I don't have any detail of this, I'm sure that they, they put up another temple veil to separate the Holy of Holies from everything else. But what went on in the Holy of Holies? Again, not trying to, 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 to be inflammatory or anything like that. But y'all, when Jesus finished his work on the cross and ascended back into heaven, sacred places ceased to be. Everything became the sacred then. And so with the temple that would eventually be destroyed in AD 70, which, by the way, Titus was the, the, the Roman general that came through and, and destroyed Jerusalem. But Jesus was the one that said it was coming. Jesus said, when I'm done with you, there's not going to be one stone that you can leave on the other one. So, yeah, Titus was the means, but Jesus was the destroyer there. Realize this. Um, when it comes to the temple, um, when it comes to our faith, y'all, we don't need to get wrapped around the axle on the physical goings on of what's happening in Israel to understand the end times. I saw somebody write something recently that the Old Testament is referenced over 400 times in the book of Revelation. So if you want to understand the book of Revelation, read the Old Testament. Don't try to understand it from watching the news, okay? And furthermore, as it relates to this today, what Jesus is really pointing to here, he starts by revealing his glory in the first part of chapter two, but here he reveals his zeal for his father's house. Well, y'all, Jesus is his father's house. Jesus is the manifestation of the kingdom of God in all of its glory. And Jesus points to here his fervor for the kingdom of God. He starts with his glory. And then he moves to the kingdom in terms of the signs, the wonders that he is doing. So I say that because hey, I don't want you to get bent out of shape about some of this prophecy stuff that's going on out there. If you're watching this, if you're wrapped up in it, turn it off. Um, it's like all the left behind stuff that was ultra popular, um, especially around 9-11 and that kind of thing. Even before then, y'all, some of that stuff isn't worth your left behind. OK, really and truly, if you could read that thing and you got past the first couple of chapters where it said, you'll notice that none of the 10 year old, the children uh, over the age of 10 or under the age of 10 have vanished because they had not yet reached the age of accountability and they were still innocent in God's eyes. I don't know if that's exactly what it says. That's how far I read. And then I closed the book because I said, this is not for me. Right. All this stuff is swirling out there. Don't get wrapped around the axle on this. Read the word and you'll see that the perspective on the temple is quite different in Jesus eyes. And that's important because his view is the one that matters. Not all the noise that's going on out there. Dwell on this and enjoy the fact I'll say this. Enjoy the fact that y'all we have a direct line to God through Jesus Christ. Read the book of Hebrews sometimes. It goes on and on, not about how the old system of Judaism was a terrible thing or anything like that, but the author of Hebrews compares the system of Judaism 
to that of Christianity and basically draws the conclusion that the two can't compare. That Judaism was never meant to be perfect, never meant to be permanent. That it was not a flawed system per se, but in terms of comparing Judaism with its temple to Christ, the two can't compare. And so he reasoned, there's no way you can go back to this. So keep those things in mind if, if you're getting into some of this prophecy stuff that's swirling out here, especially right now. Man, I've heard it all. I mean, even that the coronavirus vaccine is going to be the mark of the beast, unbeknownst to us. The short answer to that is when the mark of the beast does come around, number one, it's probably going to be a lot different than you and I think it's going to be. And you might say, well, why doesn't that fit into vaccine? Well, it could fit into vaccine. But the idea that we get is that when people receive the mark of the beast, they know it. Always apply the sniff test when you're dealing with prophecy and these sorts of things. The sniff test, right? You got something in the fridge and you forgot how long it's in there. So you crack the lid and you give it a good sniff and you say, oh, man, that's not too bad. Toss in the microwave and eat it. Now realize that we all have different frames of reference. And, and my sniff test, it's got quite a bit of allowance in it. All right. So, um, but nevertheless when it comes to biblical stuff and when it comes to prophecy stuff give it the sniff test and if it stinks throw it out okay as that applies to all of the stuff that's swirling out there um if it sounds sensational it probably is when it comes to the vaccine and the mark of the beast the idea that we get about the mark of the beast is not that people are going to get it unbeknownst to them and then be cursed by god for it y'all the sniff test for that is apply that to the character of god do you really think that, that, that God is going to curse and damn people because of something they did in good faith and conscience and, and they didn't know any better? That's not how this works. Um, don't get wrapped up in this prophecy stuff. Pay attention to what the word says and enjoy the fact that we have all of these freedoms in Christ, that, that we don't have to worry about all of those things. Because, y'all, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Let's pray. I thank you, Father, so much for all the ways that you have blessed us and for the truth of your word. Please help us to cling to the simple truth that Jesus is enough, that we don't have to find the secret path, that we don't have to buy into all this garbage that's being peddled out there just to sell books or get donations or whatever. Instead, help us to look at the simple truth of your word, to see the things that Jesus had said. Uh, to view things as you view them. Please, the only way we can do this is by your Holy Spirit. So fill us with your spirit and guide us in your ways. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you for being a part of this time with me, Lord willing. I'll be back tomorrow morning at seven o'clock and we will get to one of my favorite passages in the scripture, but also we'll get to a translation quandary where I think something was a little bit off. Uh, we'll get to that tomorrow. Until then, I hope you all have a great day.